Hey guys, before we start today's episode of the podcast, I want to chat with you real quick about an amazing resource that you should check out today, radportfolios.com. Whether you're an actor wanting to present your resume and reel on the best looking site, or you want to create a website for a new and exciting project that you're working on, check out radportfolios.com and let them take care of all of your website needs. They're artists too. And know just how important it is to have an online presence that perfectly captures you. And they're easy to use. Just send them whatever updates you want to make and they take care of all of it for you. Use our special code HUSTLE to get half off off of all of the startup costs. And for an affordable monthly rate, you can get someone else to help out your online hustle. Radportfolios.com so you can get back to getting booked again. That's radportfolios.com. Now, on with the show. And I think that most people find a way to separate themselves, whether it's through meditation or something, because you, you, you have to be able to turn the machine off just in general in the business like i don't think that's necessarily just los angeles but because los angeles is so seeped in that type of way of life where you know it's called, this is called hollywood hustle for a reason because it is a hustle and you have to do it but you have to be able to do it in a healthy way welcome to episode 73 of the hollywood hustle podcast for this week on the show, we share the stories and struggles of an actor, producer, and founder of one of the most influential female empowerment resources for women in the entertainment industry, and how she thrives and survives in not only the city of dreams, Los Angeles, but also the Hollywood of Canada, Vancouver. Hi there, I am your co-host Michael Lutheran, and I am so happy that you joined us today. Whether you're a returning guest or someone who just discovered our show and you're on your journey to pursue your dreams, whether that's in acting, writing, producing, casting, and more, I couldn't be happier that you're with us today. One of the recurring ideas that we keep bringing up here a lot in Season 2 is that the Hollywood hustle is more than just about the city of Los Angeles. It's a concept. It's an identity. The idea that if you work hard for your dream, putting all of yourself into something that you're passionate about, something that is as essential to you as your name or your eye color or your voice, and if you understand that an essential part of achieving that dream is the journey, and that comes with all of the ups and downs, if you understand all of that and you're still with me, then you know all about the hustle. And our guest today, Helena Santos, is a perfect example of someone who's lived that Hollywood hustle life. She spent 10 years living here in Los Angeles, but now she lives in Vancouver, Canada, considered by many to be one of the leading markets in television and film production today. Full behind-the-scenes disclosure for these long-distance interviews, we interview our guests via Google Hangouts, and for whatever reason, my Wi-Fi on this particular August afternoon, did not want to cooperate during this video call. There will be some moments where you will hear some audio calibration as my Wi-Fi had to catch up with Helena. Hello, good morning. I've smoothed out most of those moments, but trust me, you are going to get so much amazing insight today on Helena's journey. 
With all that said, let's get to Act 1 with Helena Santos started. I'm going to pass things over to our host, Daniel Tuttle, and I'll catch up with you guys after the interview so you can check in with me and with Daniel, and we'll give you some hustle support statements. We've also got some super exciting updates about one of our recent guests here on the show, and they got a major, major booking, guys. So we are so excited to finally share it. But first, let the hustle begin. Helena Santos is an actor, writer, and producer with Mighty Pharaoh Films, an independent film production company she runs with her husband, Barry W. Levy. She's the founder of Ms. and the Biz and can often be found on panels at conventions such as San Diego's Comic-Con and has been interviewed by major press outlets including CNN. Her work as a contributing writer has been featured in Movie Maker magazine, Backstage Magazine, and IndieWire. Her latest projects, the feature films At Your Own Risk and an untitled sci-fi horror film, which she produced in Sarzen, will both be released in 2018. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Helena Santos. It's perfect. Hey, how you doing? Hi. And uh, now also with us is my Miz and our biz, Mr. Michael Lutheran. I'm proud of that title. <laughs> you should be. Yes. <laughs> Hello, Helena. Uh, where, are we, where are you broadcasting from today? I am up in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. Well, technically, I'm just outside of Vancouver. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm up here and it's a gorgeous, slightly overcast day. So there you have it, <laughs> setting the mood. I feel like that's the usual Vancouver weather. It's just slightly overcast, but nice. <laughs> Well, Vancouver weather is usually just like pouring rain all the time. <laughs> it's been in the 90s lately. So, uh, yeah, it's today's a welcome change, actually. <laughs> Can I say that I love that you have a Harold and Kumar go to White Castle poster behind you? And Oh, yeah, there's I, a whole story it. behind this. Ooh, go yeah. do tell. Starting off with a bang, I'm kind of trying to tell the condensed version of this. So, um, obsessed with Harold and Kumar for quite a long time. And when I before I moved to L.A., Uh, My husband and I saw the film. We're like, this is amazing. When we got to LA, we used to hang out on Melrose a lot. And there was this poster hanging in one of these weird random shops on Melrose. And I bought it for 10 bucks. It was super faded, really random. But this is back in like 2008 when you could still contact people on Facebook and they didn't think you were creepy. So I was like, hmm, I wonder if John Hurwitz and Hayden Schlossberg, the writers of this, are on Facebook. And I Facebooked both of them. John actually got back to me right away. And he was like, uh, I know exactly where that poster is from. We used to live around the corner from that place and we we're writing H&K 3 um, or 2, one of them. And uh, that's, that's incredible, blah, blah, blah. And I was just like, oh, my gosh, I love your work and how you really raise up minorities and show like minorities as actually just people and not being stereotypes. I had done a web producer start in and we had like the next step. I kept having parties. I have a party for the second episode. So I was like, hey, John, you know, if you're around, I'd love to invite you to come to this like red carpet, quote unquote, AKA like tiny carpet, one photographer party. And he was like, oh man, we are actually shooting H&K 3. I think they're in Michigan or something, but can I send my creative executive to meet you? And I was like, uh, yes, absolutely you can. <laughs> so he sends his, his creative executive, Joe, Joseph Amaral, who is, you know, like, younger than me freaking cool 
we got along so well, got him drunk. We all hung out and we became really good friends. And that connection is actually what led to me being in American Reunion when they directed it. That's a true Hollywood kind of story. Yeah. <laughs> so Helena, let's kind of take it back a little bit. Let's go back to the beginning. Uh, where were you born? What was your family like? Do you have any siblings? Let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah, so I was born in Napa Valley, California. Um, my dad was a vice president with the Philippine National Bank, so he actually traveled through the States a lot. And he had met my mom in Hawaii, and uh, she's from BC, up here in Canada. So long story short, moved around, blah, blah, blah. That's how I was born in California. And then we moved to Singapore and then the Philippines. And uh, when I was five, my dad actually decided to immigrate to Canada. So we moved to Canada. And I grew up mostly here in Langley, which is about 45 minutes outside of Vancouver. And uh, lived here through school, went to University of British Columbia for my BFA in acting, and uh, then moved down to LA in 2007 and spent a good decade there and um, <laughs> back up here now. So, and I have a, a bunch of half siblings from my dad's side. So, I have a lot of extended Filipino family, which is pretty cool. So, kind of modge podge from all over. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. And so, when during all of these travels of staying in different countries and everything, did the arts start kind of appearing in your life? Like, was there a specific moment where you had your first play or something? Like, when was that first moment for you? Do you know, I think I kind of always existed because I grew up mostly as an only child, even though I did have half siblings, they were, you know, a couple decades older than me. And um, so I grew up as an only child, sort of. And I spent a lot of time <laughs> with imaginary friends. Usually I used to have these twins that I would hang out with named Jolly and Tana and they would come to with me everywhere. And I think that that is where my super creative active brain started off from. Um, and then from there I, I started singing and then I was, uh, you know, I was really involved in choirs um, and little performances from the time I was five years old. So it started early for sure. <laughs> Do you remember what some of your first roles were as a, as a kid or maybe as you got <laughs> older into high school, what some of the roles that you played? I'm sure as always, I'm sure there's a tree in there or I played rock number four. I was actually a tree in <laughs> yeah, my and, first hey, play. You were. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, trees are great. Yeah. Trees are lovely. Especially um, in Into the Woods. But you were a very dramatic oh, tree. Oh, whoa. That's like, a, that's a really intense that's a big, musical. Yeah, it's a big part <laughs> if you're the woods. <laughs> the witch stood by me for one, one scene. You can't be into the woods without the woods. You're you're integral. You're, you were the the woods they were into. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Well, I was uh my very first role, I was a seal in some like Noah's Ark kind of thing. So me and this other girl were seals going whatever two by two into the ark. And then I think I forgot about this actually until you just said it, but I was um Rosie the Clown in clowns i think it's called where uh, you do everybody like, remembers the great role of rosie the clown <laughs> right i know so important <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of imagining this clowns is like you know the what is that show cats um, yeah. <laughs> but it's about clowns no it's that's actually pretty accurate it's like a, it's a musical for little kids um but it's oh, funny because a lot of the stuff that i did i just created myself to the point where this is so ridiculous but 
in grade three or something, I was in this like special spelling group and you got to choose your words for the week that you had to learn. And at the time, Phantom of the Opera was coming to town. And so I decided that we should all do Phantom of the Opera words. And then you had to show them to the rest of the class in some creative way. And so we did an abridged version of Phantom of the Opera to which I directed it, produced it and played the lead. (laughs) And I'm like, I should have known way back then that this is what I was going to end up doing. (laughs) My word of the week is murder. (laughs) Hello? Teacher, what's wrong? I'll I'll be honest. I thought you said when you said your first role, playing the seal, I thought you said you were playing seal on Noah's Ark. And I was very confused. I was like, I don't know what this play is that you're talking about, but I want to see seal on Noah's Ark. I think that I I would as well. I really would. Let's let's make that happen. So so you moved to LA when you, in in 2007, you said? Yeah. Correct. So what would you say, uh, especially living here for a decade, what do you, would you say makes LA so different from the rest of the country? Oh my gosh, I love LA. It is this land of like misfits and dreamers and doers and where everything is possible. And so many people say it's hard to connect in LA, but I found it to be one of the easiest places to connect with people because everybody is so open and all wanting to help one another or... conversely, if they're not wanting to like necessarily help you to just help you, they're going to help you to help them get what they need in a way than helping themselves. So it's like, (laughs) you know, that, that whole sort of ladder thing, that's just a a built in part of the society there, which is really cool. Um, And it's, I mean, it's sunny all the time. There are no seasons, which is great. I mean, there are seasons, but kind of not once now I'm back to the place with seasons. I'm like, Oh, Right. I forgot about rain and cold. Yeah, that's the thing. Like Canada actually has real weather. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I read yeah. I read a thing. Um, I don't know if you guys follow Overheard LA on Instagram, but they mm-hmm. recently had something. They had a section that was about LA, and one person was, "I feel like that. You know, there's always pilot season, festival season, uh, 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 workshop season, all these other seasons. Like they just use those to make up for us not having seasons. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, especially because I mean, I feel like the decade that I was there is just one long year. (laughs) It never really changed. That sounds about right. Like one LA year is really actual 10 actual years. With just a few hotter days. It's like, it's just, this day is just a little hotter than the day before. Yeah. And it's not the, what the season hasn't really changed. But then if you think about it, like if you think of like hiatus is during the summer, like hiatus season is when everyone's just sitting around like, Oh my God, what's happening in the world. (laughs) There's nothing going on, but I feel hot and sweaty and (laughs) no one wants me. Ah. And, And maybe that is the insanity and part of the struggle with LA is that, doesn't change and so Mm -hmm. sometimes when you your career is kind of at a flat line or in kind of a a stasis of non-momentum that since the seasons don't change the weather doesn't really change everything just feels stagnant and you feel like you're just stuck in one spot for a long time and maybe that's part of the struggle of being in l and that maybe psychological struggle of being here and uh you know helena when you were here how did you deal with those moments for that decade when you know maybe you were challenged like you know what maybe it's time for me to leave la or maybe it's just you know maybe i should try something different or live somewhere else how did you overcome those moments Mm. um i had to start looking at my life as a whole and not just as a career i you know it's so so easy to get really burnt out in la and not realize that you're burnt out Uh, and because there's such a this this toxic 
um, vibe of like doing, doing, doing more and more and more. I have to, you know, get somewhere, some mythical top of some fake mountain that doesn't actually exist, you know? And so I used to, when I started to realize how burnt out I was getting, I would purposely go out into the desert because there's like nowhere else you can go and get away from everything. And so I'd go out, you know, to Joshua Tree and um, surrounding areas there and really peace out and not have cell reception and be by myself where, you know, silence is way louder sometimes than all the people around you. And you can just really be with your own thoughts. Um, and I think that most people find a way to separate themselves, whether it's through meditation or something, because you, you have to, you have to be able to turn the machine off. Um, just in general in the business. Like, I don't think that's necessarily just Los Angeles, but because Los Angeles is so seeped in that type of way of life um, where, you know, it's called, this is called Hollywood hustle for a reason, because it is a hustle and you have to do it, but you have to be able to do it in a healthy way. Yeah. I think that is the big struggle of like trying to find what that healthy balance is. And I, I do think it, you touched on something really great, Daniel, of like, because it never changes, it feels like it's so easy to let go of certain things. Um, so what were some of the, so you went out to Joshua Tree. Um, what else did you do, Helena, whether that was, um, you know, creating work with your your own friends, your own community, or what were other things that you did to ha- kind of help break up the constantness of LA? Um, well, like on a personal level, I think that it's it's hard because you can go six months, nine months without seeing some of your best friends in LA, which is weird, right? Like, I feel like some people I see more now, not necessarily being in LA at the moment, because I come down and visit and everyone makes time to see one another. I think that we, you know, we'll connect and everybody goes to a networking thing or some event or whatever, so we can get our red carpet picture. But people don't necessarily make the time to just connect with one another as people. Um, so, and even like, you know, with like in our marriage, we would have a date day once a week, non-negotiable, like there's, you know, sometimes it ended up being date night or date morning. Cause one of us would have an audition or something would happen or someone would book a job, but you like making time and really carving that out and having it be something on your schedule so that you can invest in your relationships, whether it's friendships or like, you know, romantic relationships, whatever it is, where you're making the time for that and that space in your life. Um, that's super important because the times when I haven't done that, I, I start to lose touch of the things in life that are truly meaningful, you know, from a more career perspective, it is making the time to go to the networking things and the screenings and the events and all that jazz, because that's where you're going to find your friends and your collaborators. Um, There are a lot of people who don't go out and do any of those things, or they have a day job or slash night job, or I, you know, I I call them thrival jobs. And that sort of became a thing, which is cool. Um, And like, they, they don't make the time and they don't put that in their schedule. And that's just as important. So um, it's finding ways to have that harmony in all the different things that you're doing so that they can all serve the greater purpose. You know, we've been doing this for a year and a half now. And over the time, there's definitely been a set of themes that are reoccurring on the show. And I think Michael would agree that there's a lot of stuff that comes up a lot. And, and, and it's not, you know, a lot of times it feels like maybe we're restating things over and over again. But I think there's some things that are so important they have to be said over and over mm-hmm. again. And one of those things, like you mentioned, is finding a balance. And finding mm-hmm. a balance between your personal life 
and your work life, and especially if they intermingle, finding a balance to separate them in some form yeah. or fashion, where you have that time where you switch off and you're not Helena the creative, you're Helena the 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 girlfriend or the sister or the daughter or you know you 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 become the person and not the the industry, and mm-hmm. that's and so I think that's really important. Yeah, and there's this um, great book I read a while ago, and I totally can't remember who wrote it now, but it's about the fact that sometimes the word balance can be even hurtful and like bothersome to some people because it makes you feel somehow stagnant. Like, okay, here's this one side and here's this other side and they have to be, you know, perfect or however many sides you've got in your, whatever it is that you're balancing. But I try to look at it as being like a harmonious thing instead where, you know, if you're playing a jazz song, say there's going to be like the drums are going to take over for a while, but you still have everything else going on. And sometimes the saxophone is going to take over and you still have everything else going on, but it all works and serves a purpose. Um, so not to say that everything has to be equal, but that you can give something a little more weight for a while while you're still nurturing everything else. Mm, absolutely. And, and, you know, speaking of kind of reoccurring themes, something that me and you have talked about Helena uh, on the phone is and one of the reasons I think we made this podcast was that people have expectations when they move mm-hmm. to LA or they have these imaginary dreamlike feels of how it's going to work when they get here. I'm going to come, I'm going to work hard, I'm going to get auditions, I'm going to get cast, I'm going to become famous, I'm going to win an Academy Award, and then I'm going to retire right. with eight Academy Awards and fame and money. All, That's by, the, <laughs> all by my 28th birthday. All by my 20th birthday. Yes. And, and so people have this feeling like, and if it, and, and, and I know, I know several people who come here, they're here for three months and then they leave. Oh God. And right. because they get disillusioned and it's not what they had thought it was going to be. And so can you speak on how you feel the expectation is versus what the reality is and how people can alter their view so that they're more prepared when they come out here? Yeah. Oh my gosh. So much on this. But um, my husband has a good friend who um, I think between us sort of coined the term that like actors have special snowflake syndrome. Um, A lot of people (laughs) in the industry do. And like, not talking to you, Michael. (laughs) (laughs) like yes we are all special snowflakes absolutely we're all one of a kind and everybody is talented and amazing but the thing is that when you go to a place where everyone is a special snowflakes like all of those snowflakes kind of just mix together and there's a lot of them um so it's it's this thing where you know, you, you have to have a belief in yourself and you have to have the drive and ambition when you do something like decide to be in the entertainment industry. Um, but the, the reality is that not everyone is going to get the Oscar. Not everyone is going to be a series regular. Um, not everybody is going to have a feature film that, you know, whatever, it, it wins a Golden Globe. Whatever the things are that are your goals, you might not get there, and that's okay. And I think that there's this big problem where, you know, we're all told to keep this dream alive and go get it and, and you know, never, 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 never give up. And this whole think and grow rich thing where if you keep digging for the gold and don't stop because that next dig might hit the gold. And what if you stop too soon? Like, I, I find that to be, especially for myself, incredibly toxic because it needs to be like, what, how do you want your life to look at the end of your life? And you can go towards all of those things, but if they don't happen, you're not a failure. And I think people feel like they're failing all of the time. And that is no way to live a life. Mm -hmm. Um, Your goals that you had are going to morph and change 
the way that some things come into your life and become, you know, these other things is, is totally different than at least for myself, the way I thought a decade ago, I would see my life. Um, because I have the same, you know, thought like I, and my goal still is I'd love to be a series regular on a TV show, but if that doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. And I've created all these other amazing things that I'm really proud of and that have helped me start to create a, a solid career. So I, I wouldn't want to negate those things just because I haven't gotten to this goal that I set for myself however many years ago. And that, like, this is where I think the vision boards can be great and also totally toxic because mm. I look at this vision board and there are things that have happened that I did, you know, this is back when the secret was a big thing that I made this board, you know, like I'm going to go to LA, here's my vision board. Um, some of the things have happened and in different ways, but other things I'm like, Whoa, I am so far off from that happening that, <laughs> you know, at least I have a healthy perspective that, you know, I don't suck and I'm not a failure and that, you know, it doesn't have to be a struggle forever. So it's a, it's a hard thing for mm-hmm. sure. Do you, um, do you find that that struggle was contained solely to your experience while in Los Angeles, or do you find there's like that line between LA and Vancouver uh, for mm. example, like, does that cross over to both cities? Do you feel that way uh, in Vancouver as well? Do you know, Vancouver is interesting. Um, you know, I'm very lucky. I'm a dual citizen, so I can go back and forth. But um, Vancouver, like LA is a very, very different beast. It's a different hustle. It's a different mentality um, where it just, there's a lot of pressure. It's a total pressure cooker. Vancouver, people kind of live life more because it is more of a service industry to the states and we're sort of used to like projects coming in and going out and because the Canadian government funds a lot of stuff it's easier for people to who want to go that route to like get grant funding and make projects that way um it's not the same american buy sell marketing hustle make the money back necessarily so there's a lot more openness um to having a more balanced slash harmonious lifestyle and that kind of just sort of seeps into the whole way that the industry works up here. Um, I don't, I don't know which is better or worse or whatever. I think that there should be a balance of both of them and being up here. I I don't, you know, I found a a good pocket of the indie film community that has more of an American LA mentality of um, how to just get things done and be scrappy and, and really um, to have more of a, you know, true indie film LA flavor that I, I, I don't know. It's, I miss that about LA for sure. Um, the, the power of that. And it, and it's, it, it's something, it really is an American culture versus Canadian culture. Canadian culture is interesting because while there's so many things I love about it, it does have this thing that I've heard about in Australia as well called tall poppy syndrome, where it's like, if you get too big and like, you're kind of like out of that grasp of everybody else, then they kind of like want to cut your head off, make all the poppies the same level. Um, and that's definitely something that I've experienced. I know a lot of other people have experienced. So, um, and it just doesn't exist in the States the same way. People there really applaud one another and, and keep moving up a ladder together. So it's, it's, an, it's a weird cultural difference. So uh, when you were in Los Angeles, what were your first steps of like establishing your acting career uh, mm-hmm. here? Like in terms of, uh, did you start taking classes or did you immediately try to get an agent? Um, all of the above. It's funny because if I was going to go back and do it again, I actually would, uh, go and get an assistant position with a producer immediately. Like if I could tell myself, don't 
take all the classes. Don't go to, you know, get an agent right away. Don't start auditioning. Um, because I personally, for, for what I'm doing now would have gotten much more value out of being an assistant and working out that way than, you know, what I did, but you know, hindsight, I didn't even know, maybe I'm wrong. I have no idea. But what I did was as soon as we got there, I had done all the typical IMDB research to like, you know, what agents and blah, blah, blah. And I, I had my agent up here at the time and trying to set up meetings, but it, you know, it's, it's one of these unrealistic things where it's like, if you don't have LA credits, you can't get an LA agent and blah, blah, blah. So I was, I took uh, classes at Margie Haber studios. I took like right away, I started there and I went to Scott Sedita Studios and did a lot of stuff there for more comedy. Um, I was going to workshops, like casting director workshops all the time. I ended up, I wanted to not wait tables when I got there because everyone thinks, oh, I'll just start working right away. No, you don't. <laughs> you need to have like a lot of money and you need to have a solid income. So, you know, I was waiting tables at night and starting to audition a lot I I got in how did I get my first agent I think I got my first agent there because my husband referred me to the agent that he got um because I mean he's quite an established actor so he was able to get somebody right away and then I was in a good position because I actually booked um an ABC show just like a co-star not too long after I got there uh it never aired unfortunately the show got canceled but that sort of helped put me in a good position for everything else that came after it it's you know th this industry is definitely an industry of like catch 22s you mm -hmm. can't you you have to have an agent but you can't have an agent until you get LA parts but you won't get LA parts unless you have an agent and yeah. you can't get into SAG unless you have a speaking part on a show but you can't have a speaking part on a show unless you're in SAG and yeah. and it's like what what is this town that yeah. <laughs> like they just built to it's it's built in a way to make you fail and to frustrate you but i feel like it's also built to that only the strong and the more persevering will survive in a yeah, lot of ways. Yeah, that's true. Um, when you got here, how did what what ways did you network? In what ways did you make contacts and build your uh, industry Rolodex, if you will? Mm -hmm. Well, when I first got there, um, just through classes originally, I, you know, because I only knew a couple of people there and um, I'm a very social person and I need community. So when I got there, I just started to hang out a lot with the people that I was in classes with and make friendships that way. And then it was right at the start of web series. <laughs> I feel like so old saying this, but it really was. And um, there's this thing called the International Academy of Web Television or the IWTV. And at the time they were doing all these really cool meetups. And so I started going to those events and met a whole community of awesome people became really good friends with a lot of those people. And um, started to branch out into more of the producing side of things because that's what everyone was doing and everyone had to do because it was also around the right. There was a lot less work and a lot less auditions and everyone was just creating their own stuff. Um, so that's sort of the beginning of how I found community in LA. Yeah, because like 2007, 2008, like that was around the time where web series started happening because as you were saying, the Writers uh, Guild was going on strike, right? So um, there mm -hmm. was all of a sudden this birth of like new content that was coming out. And I'm just interested, curious to know when you met uh, one of our former guests here on the podcast, Alexandra Boylan. Um, when, oh, did yeah. your, when did your journeys cross? See, this is the great thing about waiting tables in LA because everybody in LA who's waiting tables has something to do with the industry mostly for the most part. <laughs> so uh, I was working at this bar in Santa Monica 
which is actually the same place that we had um, the, so the whole thing about the Harold and Kumar poster. That's also where I met Joe because oh, nice. um, I had the event there. So Alexandra had just finished shooting uh, Home Sweet Home and she was like, John was editing it and she needed to get a side job. And so she was there hosting and we bonded over Britt Marling and her friend, Evan Glaudel, who both had the films in uh, Sundance. And we just started talking. And that's also when I was sort of coming up with Ms. in the Biz and we became really good friends. And I asked her to write for the site and that was kind of it. We, we just became really close and we had so many of the same goals and, um, just ways about being in the business that we admired in one another. And yeah, yeah, that's how that started. Nice. You know, uh, we just had a, um, a guest, uh, on named Jason Altman who was talking to me about, uh, waiting tables in New York and he ended up being a, a small part on boardwalk empire because he waited on Mark Wahlberg and Mark Wahlberg was working with a friend of his mm. on the other guys. And so, so the, he mentioned that to Mark Wahlberg and Mark Wahlberg would come in our all the time. And then he said, Hey, let me connect you with the boardwalk empire guys. And he got a part in boardwalk empire. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, never he, know. that's similar, yeah. kind of similar story to how like Daniel and I met, we were just working at the same job at universal studios, uh, at the theme park. And you just start to ask questions and you, you know, you become friends first and foremost. And I think that's like an important thing, mm -hmm. right? Like, so it sounded like you and Alexander became mm -hmm. great friends. And then you realize, oh, wait, you're both doing awesome things. Let's collaborate together. Let's do awesome things together. And yeah. More awesome. Exactly. It's just, that's the great thing about waiting tables. I mean, I, I, I actually love the service and mind dining and stuff as well. Like I, I love it. I think it's great for me. It's a really amazing social outlet and you meet incredible people. Um, and I, I mean, I found investors because I waited, producers because I waited tables who I've worked with. Like you just, it, I mean, it is an amazing door opener, especially <laughs> in LA. So speaking of producing and producers, what kind of thrusted you to start, uh, you know, producing your own stuff and, and what do you feel is the benefits uh, and maybe some of the, 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 the hardships with making your own stuff? Oh my gosh. Um, I started doing it because it's just what you literally in 2008, that's what you had to do. If you weren't making something like it used to be that if you were only, if you did anything other than acting, people would be like, Oh, they're not, you're not a serious actor because you're also writing and producing. How can you have any focus? And then when the internet became a thing and people were doing web series, aren't you doing all of these things? things. And that was the way to get seen. So like most people, you're not getting cast in something you want to cast yourself. So I, you know, started to write stuff. I started, um, have people be able to see me in the roles they wouldn't necessarily see me in. Um, because not only, you know, is it just hard Nelly in general, then when you're like a female in their twenties, that's hard. And then when you're in a minority female, there's like really only slim pickings and it's still not great. So it's you have to make things yourself and i just fell in love with filmmaking and with producing and um the digital world was a great door in for me and then i realized my total passion is independent film and i i really love filmmaking as a medium that's when i sort of got more involved in versus the web series world 
Now, you, you're listed and credited for being an executive producer on a few projects, to being a, an associate producer, and to just being a producer. Uh, could you kind of just explain for our audience mm-hmm. the difference between those three different titles, uh, executive, associate, and just, just pl- plain, plain producer? Yeah. Um, it's funny because they, they're different from television, like two sort of different beasts. Right. Um, the sort of highest ranking producer in a film is just simply a producer. So they're the people who accept the Academy Award when they go up and are like, this film won the Academy Award because they really take a project from the beginning to the end involved. Um, they you know, they see it through. Executive producer is more somebody who's involved in the financing or development of the project. They get money or they can have found the money. It all just sort of depends on what kind of negotiation you make with that person, how they wanted to be credited. Um, And then after that, it gets kind of like (laughs) a little not so specific. Like you have co-producers who you know, may have done a lot of things on the film while in production or not, or it can be just a negotiated title, depending on like what sort of involvement they have. Associate producers are are more like they helped out in some way, but they're not necessarily someone who's going to take the project from beginning to end. Um, line producers are more job title or a um working with the money and trying to make sure that your budgets are um, saying and all that kind of stuff. But it is funny because so many of these jobs can be negotiated titles. So, And I've also just found so much of being a producer is really just being able, being willing to do whatever it takes to get the job done. Sometimes that involves doing mm-hmm. multiple uh, roles or taking on multiple jobs mm-hmm. uh, to see it through. Oh, yeah. I mean, especially in the film, you're going to be doing 12,000 things and all of those, all, every job title ends up kind of, you know, just melding into another one because you're doing all of these jobs. Yeah. Uh, so how would you explain, I, there's probably not a sure like step one, step two, step three uh, <laughs> to making a movie, but for you, for Helena Santos, like what is your basic path to making a movie from the the inception to pre-production production post-production like what what is your process yeah right there are so many different ways this can have beginning but um definitely the way that it's gone for me and the projects that i've done is that there's sort of a seed of an idea whether that's from you know one of my producing partners or from me where we just sort of start riffing on on what this what something could be Uh, we start brainstorming coming up with ideas um from there with um you know a, a number of the films that my husband and I have he starts writing it and then I go in and I I actually like start doing notes on it and I help with the story and then he goes more and in, in, into more detail. And um, with that, your own risk with Alexander and John, we, I, ha- I had this idea I pitched and then they brought on um, Alexander's brother, Andrew, who wrote their first film, Home Sweet Home to do the script for us. So he wrote that script and um, we did some workshopping on it and job on that. So it's getting a script to be something you can shoot, knowing that things are probably going to change. Um, when you are shooting it, because it will. (laughs) So from there, um, 
it's building the team and trying to figure out like what kind of project it is, how many people you actually need and how much money you need to make it happen. Uh, with At Your Own Risk, we knew that we wanted to do something that was more experimental and have a tiny team. And everything we did was in execution of that. So um, we went forward with a very small budget, very tiny team, um, a script that was in really good shape. And we went out and shot it in the middle of the desert. Uh, and we only needed a handful of us, literally four people to make that film on location. Um, with the sci-fi film that we're finishing up now, it was a bit of a different story because we needed a slightly larger team. So we ha- we still only had maybe, ugh, I don't know, like seven, six or seven people on our crew, which is tiny, um, handful of actors. And we shot that up in Portland. So we had to do location scouting and all of the things that involve actually people traveling them, getting them up there, uh, you know, getting all the gear and doing all that research. Um, and all the negotiation happen. And then production and shooting the project and all the time still thinking about marketing and stuff in the back end and how you're going to do that and what your thoughts are about this project and, and what your goals are. Because for me, my shorts and, and digital series had always really just been about getting my name out there and or doing something artistic and for fun. Whereas with the films that I'm producing, it's, it's more, a, well, it is, a, I want it to be a business. So it really is thinking about how is that movie going to sell? Is it marketable? Um, where could we possibly have this movie sold to? Who would want to buy it? Um, it's all of those things from the very beginning that we've been thinking about. And even, you know, during the time on set, how are we, are we taking the right pictures that we're going to need for later on in the process when we're going to festivals or when we're selling the film and we need a really good, you know, uh, whatchamacallit, um, I can't have, have no words, <laughs> like putting together a package. Mm-hmm. Um, and then shooting the film, which is, that's tough. That That is a whole ball of freaking craziness that, um, and every project's different and every project's going to have its own challenges. And then once it's in the can, then it's into post-production and you know, how many people do you need to get that project done? And depending on how much money you have or the people involved and what their skill levels are, that's going to be different project. Um, and this is at the indie film level. I mean, like when you have a lot more money, um, you probably won't necessarily have like your director also editing, also, you know, doing sound design, also blah, blah, blah. Um, just because there's more money to throw at things. But when you're indie, you really have to be scrappy and figure out how to do the most you can with your money and find the best people to bring onto your team who have the skill sets that you need to complete something. Mm-hmm. Um, and then once post is done, then you need to figure out how you're going to market it and sell it and distribute it. And if you want a sales agent involved or if you want to do it on your own, um, because that's something available to you now, which is what we're doing without your own risk, is we are actually distributing ourselves. So. Um, we're doing that through an aggregator called Distripper, who um, is taking our film and submitting it to iTunes and Amazon and all that jazz for us. And we did that because Alexandra and John have had so much experience selling to big production com- or sorry, big um, studios and things like Universal and all that jazz. So we mm-hmm. wanted to do something that was more of an experiment. Um, yeah. Uh, um, what is an experience as a producer that you've had that was a really trying experience for you. Like there was that period of like, it's going to happen or it's not going to happen. And what did you do to overcome that hurdle? I feel like every single thing. (laughs) Being a producer. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the job of being a producer is that they like, they're going to be problems. 
that's just it. It's all problem solving. You're talking Uh, about the actors, right? They're going to be problems. Totally, yeah. (laughs) You are the actor yourself. You're such a problem for the producer. Um, No, I mean, if if you look at them and see them as problems, then they're always going to be awful hurdles that you have to get over. But if you see them as things that are more just like puzzles that you need to figure out, and it's a game, and it's fun, and it's interesting, um, it changes and shifts your mindset so that you're not stuck in this, like everything is awful mentality because it isn't, it's fun. It's supposed to be fun. Like we're making movies. We're not, you know, freaking mining or something. It's, it's mm-hmm. awesome. It's, it's something that, um, it's a gift. So, um, you, <laughs> you, you end up finding creative ways and you have to be malleable, um, because things will be thrown at you and you need to be like, okay, well, what do we do now? That, and always, and this is this is something that I have a career coach in LA um, named Barbara Deutsch, and she has the best little snippets of, of just nuggets of information that are incredible. And one of her things that I absolutely love is she says to make the ceiling the floor. And so what that means is that like, if this is where everything is, and I'm putting my, my hands at my forehead, though you can't see me, and <laughs> like everything seems hard and oh my gosh, I don't know what I'm going to do. You just take a breath. And you push your hands down, whether it's in your mind's eye or literally because you have to see it for yourself. You push your hands down to like, you know, as far as they'll go and you go, okay, I'm making the ceiling, the floor. And where do I go from here? And you Mm. just, you just get rid of all the crap that you were dealing with before and you start from a new spot. And that, I mean, every time she has said that to me, I always go, oh yeah, I got to make a ceiling, the floor. That's so true. Um, that that's one of the most important parts of not only producing but just this business in general hi there everyone this is michael for a quick outro discussion i wasn't joking when i said that helena was going to be an inspiration to learn from One of my favorite moments during this act one was our conversation about the continual season of L.A., how there's time, how time seems to stop when you live here and how one navigates the whirlwind of internal seasons that we all go through on this journey. I especially loved her focus on creating harmony over balance as someone who always seems to find themselves working on multiple things at once this perspective works with me a whole lot more than just trying to find balance. What were some of your favorite moments during the interview? Is there a a message or a lesson that you took away from this Act 1 discussion that resonated with you? Um, What did you think about that last bit of advice of making the ceiling your floor and going from there? We'd love to hear from you. Send us your thoughts or stories to hollywoodhustlepodcast at gmail.com and put in the subject line something to the effect of episode 73 takeaways we truly love hearing from our community and we'd love to share it here on the podcast as well again that's hollywood hustle podcast at gmail.com now updates in the intro of today's episode i teased that one of our recent guests had landed a major booking daniel and i weren't able to get together to record this portion of the episode together but i'm going to let him make this announcement along with his updates all right, Daniel, share us the news. Thank you, Michael. Hey, everybody. I'm so sorry that Michael and I couldn't get together to do this together uh, again. It's just 
with his full-time job and me working and not working and then working, uh, our schedules are just so uh, unbalanced sometimes that it gets really hard to figure everything out. And uh, with the family and everything, I only have so much time when we sit down to record an interview or a team hustle that sometimes there's not enough time to get the outro or intro in at the same time. So I apologize that we haven't been able to get together. We will, I promise, soon. Uh, before I get started with my updates, I just want to send a huge shout out to uh, Eddie Firth, uh, his partner Ryan, um, and anybody that's been a part of or involved with Historical Roast uh, on the pickup at Netflix. I know this was a long time coming, and we've had to sit on it for a while, so, so I'm glad that news is out there. Uh, so congratulations, Eddie, and everyone else involved. Uh, that's so awesome. I uh, can't wait to watch the show on Netflix, Historical Roast. And also, huge congrats to former guest Alexander Boylan and today's guest, uh, Helena Santos, on your pre-ordering of uh, uh, At Your Own Risk. Uh, you can pre-order At Your Own Risk on iTunes right now, um, and it'll be out next Tuesday when Act 2 of Helena's episode comes out. So definitely check it out. It's a great film. I got to see it uh, at a festival here in L.A., and it's fantastic. Uh, it was made for like $800, as we talk about, I think, in the uh, interview next week. So definitely check it out. Congratulations, guys. Um, this week, man, uh, I'm working at Mar Vista right now uh, as, as of this recording. Um, I'm working there uh, this week and possibly Monday. And then I also have, I think, some videography gigs possibly at the end of the month. Um, so doing okay, free, freelancing it. Uh, but doing okay, still looking for that full-time gig. I've had a few interviews that didn't pan out, so hopefully something else will come up. So that's the, you know, job update. Uh, as far as the script, I told you I was working on with Mikey, our former guest, the poet Mikey, Mike Tobias. Uh, I call him Mikey because I have a thousand Michaels in my life. Um, he, him and I got together this last week. We had each written a scene from the movie that we're working on, and that really helped us realize um, that we really didn't have any like deep meaning and themes for each act that it just felt very discombobulated and it felt like the scenes were good, just didn't feel like they added anything or they meant anything. And so him and I sat down and really broke up the three acts this time. Um, you know, the first meeting we had, we really talked more about the deeper idea of the movie, came up with a lot of the uh, plot devices and the characters. This time we kind of broke down each act. Of who is the what is the focus of each act? Who is the focus of each act? And how do we get from point A to point B to point C? That makes sense. That means something and is not overdramatic, but feels real and, and, and emotional and makes sense. And so. Uh, we had a really good two-hour, three-hour conversation and really figured out each act. And him and I picked an act, and we're each writing one of those acts right now. Um, and then next week, as of this recording, next Wednesday, uh, him and I are going to get back together, uh, read our individual acts, and then kind of talk about them and then talk about the set, the the other act together and figure out how it all kind of bridges together. So really excited. Uh, I know, you know Michael's been working on a special project based on Medigan, uh, the play he was in, um, and I'm actually thinking about doing the same thing uh, with this kind of experience. So I may have Mike 
record some stuff with me to talk about the writing process together and collaborating together um, and then put out something after the Madigan special as well, uh, a, a collaborative special or a writing screenwriting special. Um, it may not be for a while, though, because we'll probably I'll probably want to do it through possibly the full process of getting the whole thing filmed. So uh, but I'll probably start recording now so we can have interviews while it's all fresh on our mind. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much it. Everything else has been going. We we, we had our final uh, interview for this season last weekend uh, as of this recording. And then we also had our first interview for next season, which was amazing guys you don't even know how how amazing it was uh especially to have it this week of all weeks uh just really made it i think even mean more and it was it got so emotional and it's uh so great guys and i mean emotional like in a good way and like a very cathartic and 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 uh, and uh, a real passionate way in in some meaning so um Definitely make sure you you keep up so you can listen next week or next season. Uh, but we have a few more episodes this season. We're not done yet. Uh, we have few. We have actually two more recordings that will probably be put into one recording. Hopefully, uh, actually three recordings. So things are still coming. This season's not over yet. I love you guys. Back to you, Michael. Thanks, buddy. I'm so excited to read what you and Mikey Tobias are working on. Daniel actually sent me the first few pages of one of his scenes. I've just been too swamped to read it yet. Sorry, my bad buddy, but I know it's going to be good and I can't wait to dive in. It's also awesome that you keep being brought back in to work at Mar Vista Entertainment. Uh, that's the production company that Daniel has been temping for. It's never a bad thing to keep getting asked to come back. Hopefully it will something will strike soon, whether that be a job offer or a referral to another company down the road. Regardless, we're all rooting for you, man. And yes, of course, the big announcement, Eddie Firth booked Netflix. <laughs> I, I found out about this actually a few weeks ago when Eddie and I were actually both at a wedding for another former Hollywood Hustle guest, Mr. Joel Ward. And when Eddie told me, I just gave him the biggest hug I could give and I couldn't express how happy I was for him. You know, if you're joining us for the first time today, Eddie's episodes were actually very recent, episodes 70 and 71. If ever you've wanted to know what the path of a stand-up comedian is like, then make sure to put on your listening cue to listen to those episodes next. I can't wait to have Eddie and his collaborator, his collaborator uh, Ryan Pig, on our show to give us insight to what this whole process has been like. Now, I've known Eddie for a couple years now, and I can tell you that he's been working on this deal almost the entire time that I've known him. So big congrats there, man. Super excited for you. And I can't wait to Netflix and, you know, just chill and binge season one of Historical Roast. That is so awesome. Uh, now for me, my updates. Uh, I've, I do have some updates regarding Met Again. Um, if you're just joining us, I did a show for the Hollywood Fringe Festival and been very fortunate that this show keeps coming back in new and exciting ways and we recently had to put on a command performance for a theater producer out in New York City. He came all the way out to Los Angeles to see the show. And we've been waiting now for the past couple weeks and been waiting and waiting and uh, we were, you know, this past week uh, contacted by our artistic director at Theater Unleashed, uh, Jen Scuderi Crafts, and she and informed us that unfortunately it's a no-go 
right now for New York. Um, the gentleman, uh, he's in going all across the country, going to other French festivals and inviting shows uh, to his theater in New York City. And unfortunately, you know, he didn't feel like our show was the right show for his theater at this time. Um, you know, I would be lying if I didn't say that when I read that message that, you know, I didn't feel that sense of disappointment. Uh, I was definitely hoping for it. You know, I, I let my hopes get the better of me as it were. And I, I was invested in the idea. And over the past week, it's been some work getting over that and letting that go. And also just realizing that that was never even a thing when I first auditioned for this show. Um, you know, so much bigger and better things have come out of this experience than a possible run in New York City. I've been, I proposed to my now fiance. Um, I got to perform this amazing, beautiful show. I got to fall in love with acting again. And I'm so excited that Daniel mentioned it, but I am working on a very special narrative miniseries here for the Hollywood Hustle podcast about my experience working on this show, being in this show. Um, it's going to be coming out, I believe, in season three, uh, but we have original music composed by a former guest here of the show, and you're going to get a chance to meet my cast members, the director, playwright, and everyone that's been involved with this show. And I'm excited. I've been really wanting to experiment with the podcast medium. And being in this play, again, gave me so much more than I ever thought I would be getting from this show. So very, very excited about that. So, you know, sorry, New York City, but I'll get back to you on another time. Okay, cool. Awesome. Uh, other things, speaking of acting, I am now trying to work on the process of getting back into the business of acting. What I mean by that is going over my casting profiles once again on LA Casting and Actors Access. I definitely am going to be looking at rad portfolios for myself because my website right now, it's definitely a self-made job and it kind of looks like one. Um, so going to be going over that as well, but also trying to make sure that I don't feel overwhelmed by the work that is the business. Um, trying to break it up in chunks to set some goals, some monthly goals for myself. So trying to get back to that as well. Um, I did put out a call on last week's episode that I was going to try and do a social media check-in with you guys to catch up on my type. I wasn't able to get I wasn't able to do that, unfortunately. So I'm looking forward to doing that this week, um, you know, posting some headshots or maybe some production stills and hearing honest feedback from you guys to what you think my type may be or may not be anymore. We'll see. Um, but before we head to our hustle support statements, I'm actually going to throw things back over to Daniel for a quick word about Rad Portfolios. Tired of nagging yourself to get a website for your artistic career already? Radportfolios.com creates affordable, custom websites for artists. Use our special code HUSTLE, H-U-S-T-L-E, for half off your website startup. Radportfolios.com, so you can get back 
to getting booked. All right. Every week, in addition to providing you with the insight of another artist's journey, we also like to give what we call hustle support statements. These are moments for Daniel and I to give you some advice as we live our journeys here week to week. Sometimes they are lessons that we gleaned from something we heard in the guest interview that week. Other times, they may be something that we hope to bring into our careers and lives as well. But all in all, these are for you. And I'm going to go first this week. This past weekend, Daniel and I recorded our first interview for season three, which starts next year. So awesome. But during this interview, our guest spoke about the importance of therapy, especially when living in a city such as Los Angeles, when it can get so easy to be lost in the go, go, go mentality and competitiveness that this industry forces upon us. I often hear from others that therapy is just as important as going to the gym to exercise your body. It's so important to take care of you in these safe spaces. And I can say this because I went to my first therapy session this past week. With the news of Medigan not making it to New York this week, I couldn't help but feel like I hit a wall on my path as an actor. And then I began thinking of all of the other stresses in my life, and I felt like I couldn't move. But through this session, and with focusing on meditation once again, I was able to get the perspective I needed to realize that what I encountered wasn't a wall. It was just a stepping stone. This experience raised me up and gave me so much more than I could ever have asked for. Everyone will experience lows, and I want you to know that we are here rooting you on, in your victories and in your stepping stones. Self-care is not being selfish. You are enough, and you have what it takes. So that is my hustle support statement, and now I am going to pass the baton off to Mr. Daniel Tuttle. What you got, buddy? Hey guys, thank you, Michael. Uh, my hustle statement, I want to talk about respect. It's easy in this industry to kind of get in your own head and in your own projects and your own works and to forget the hard work that other people put into their stuff and to dismiss it. It's very easy to do that. It's easy to ignore the work others people other people do, especially if it's like myopic small things like photos or modeling shoots or things like that. But everyone's working towards their art. Everyone's working hard. And it's important to support those people in their work. It, it, and, and especially when it comes to like films, especially if you're in this town, if you see a film and it's and maybe you didn't like it for whatever reason, it doesn't mean everyone has to not like it. And just because you saw a film that you love doesn't mean everybody has to love it. And when you talk about that film, be careful because you never know who's going to be around. It could be one of the producers of that film could be next to your table. It could be someone who was a lighting grip or a grip on that on that shoot is next to you. So remember that a ton of people put a lot of hard work even into bad films. And it's to respect that that film got made. They went out, they took a risk, and they made that film. That's something to commend and respect. 
So when you come out here, when you work in this industry, when you're when you are struggling, you are pushing. Remember, it's it's the old adage: "Do unto me as I would want done. Do unto you as I would want done to me." And so when you come here, you talk to other people like you would want to be talked to. If you were part of a bad movie, you would still want some appreciation that you worked on that movie. You did some hard work to make sure that was done. So always be cautious of that. And be cautious that other people don't have to love what you love or hate what you hate. We all have our own opinions. We all have our own films that we love that maybe the other person doesn't get. Same with TV shows or books or actors or you know everything. Food, it doesn't matter. So respect everyone's work and respect their process and respect who they are and what they love. That's all it is. It's respecting others' opinions and respecting everyone else because you want to be respected. Respect can be given, but it's also earned. It's kind of like if you if someone gives you food right when you walk into a house, but you don't eat it and it just goes to waste. Maybe they're not going to give you food or that as much food again right away because you're probably just going to let it go to waste again. Same with the respect. If, if I meet you, I respect you immediately because I don't know you. I don't know your past. I don't know who you are, but I'll, give, I'll show you respect. I'll give you respect. But if you throw that out the door, that respect's gone. But you can also earn more respect by what you do. So just be caught, cautious, uh, conscious of that. Be conscious of what you say around other people in the industry and just respect everyone's art. It's that simple. Thanks, guy. Back to you, Michael. Thank you so much, Daniel. I love that respect is so important from our personal relationships to those in the industry and just in life. You know, it's just so important to remember that we're all here doing our best. So thank you so much for that reminder, Daniel. Respect and self-care, really, really good lessons to leave with today, all part of helping bring a harmony to your hustle. To uh, throw it back to Helena, please send us your thoughts on today's episode. You can always email us at hollywoodhustlepodcast at gmail.com or engage with us on social media. On Twitter, we are at LA Hustlecast, or on Instagram and Facebook, we are at Hollywood Hustle Podcast. For the personals, I am at Michael Lutheran. Sir Tuttle is at Daniel Tuttle. That's T-U-T-T-E-L. And our guest is at Helena M. Santos. That's H-E-L-E-N-N-A-M-S-A-N-T-O-S. And that is all on Twitter and Instagram. If you love what you heard today, please show your support by hitting subscribe on whatever podcast platform you're listening to us on. And leave us a review if you can, especially on iTunes. That really helps get the word out so that more hustlers such as yourselves can find our podcast. You can also learn more ways of supporting the production of this show by visiting our website, hollywoodhustlepodcast.com. Next week, we'll be back with Helena for Act 2. We jump back into the conversation of acting in one's own work. We also focus on the blog that she's founded called Ms. in the Biz, how it started and became this leading female empowerment resource for women in the entertainment industry. All that and so much more. 
Thank you so much for joining us for episode 73. This episode was brought to you by Team Hustle. Daniel Tuttle is our executive producer. Michael Lutheran hosted, produced, and edited today's episode. And our website was created by Mike Tobias. And you can always, again, check that out at www.hollywoodhustlepodcast.com. Until next time, everyone, always remember to keep up the hustle. And hold up real quick. I always like throwing uh, fun little bloopers at the end of things. So just to give you guys a nice little laugh at the very end of this episode, here is Daniel Tuttle initially trying to introduce Helena Santos. <laughs> Have a good one, guys. Home, which she produced and stars in, will both be released in 2018. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome our guest today, Miss Hel- Hel- <laughs> now I'm worried. <laughs> I'm so scared. Yeah, you're worried. <laughs> Helena Santos. It's perfect. Hey, how you doing? Hi. 